Father, we thank you for this time that, that you've given us, this divine appointment to come before your throne and just receive what you have for us, Father. We're, we're like little dear children sitting at your feet. We want to hear your word. We want to hear what you want to speak to us because it always brings us comfort, brings us hope, uh, brings us victory, brings us everything good that we need. Everything we need is in your word. There's wealth in your word. There's health in your word. Comfort, peace, uh, wisdom, knowledge, everything we need, Father. So we thank you for the release of your word into our hearts and our minds today. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, 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 amen. So we're going to continue talking today. We began Sunday, last Sunday, talking about the righteous slap. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> Psalm 141 uh, says that when the righteous smite me or slap me or hit me, it shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. So a slap is a word of reproof. It's not a physical slap. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. Amen. And so there are ways that God has of getting through to us and getting a word to us that may take some some work and may take some offense or risking offense uh, to be able to get truth into people. Uh, we do it all the time. We, we do it mostly in the flesh with things that we want people to know or we want people to do. Uh, and so we're, we're accustomed to that. But for some reason, once we get saved, we think we got to be nice to everybody. And that includes the devil. Amen. Sometimes we're just too easy going on things that we need to have a different kind of response to. But that is not to say you're to go around offending everybody on purpose. Uh, there are times when the Holy Spirit will have to move in order to bring uh, a good outcome for people, in order to bring healing, that happens, uh, in order to to bring people into correction. And this scripture says a slap is the same thing as a reproof. To reprove means to correct. It means that somebody is on a wrong road and they need to be turned around. And so God will send us. I mean, the gospel is the slap to the sinner. You know, really, it's telling him the road that you're on is not the right road. You're not, you're not going to go to heaven. It's not going to be good for you in the end if you continue on this road. So preaching the gospel is a righteous slap. Uh, when, when you speak with people and bring them a word of correction from God, that's a righteous slap. There's some people that don't listen anyway, but that does not mean God will not send somebody to correct them and bring them reproof. In fact, the Bible talks about the watchman. If you see a man in his wickedness and you don't go and warn him, then that person's blood is on your hands. But if you see a person and you warn them, then in, in whether they uh, turn around or whether they don't, you've done what you were supposed to do. And so this is something that the body of Christ uh, needs to understand how this works. Because I think a lot of times we want to see people do better and we wait till we're angry and then we blow up at them or, or something like that when there is a righteousness in, in wanting to see people do well, and, but it has to be carried out the right way. 
And so this is what we're endeavoring to do to understand how this happens and how God uses it and what it looks like. So the best way to find that out is to go to scripture. It's not so much go to your little situation where you are or anything like that, but go to scripture and find out how uh, Jesus used this and how <coughs> the early church used it to keep people on track, keep them on the right road. So righteous acts are acts that are born in love and designed to be effective for good. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is, is the same power that will bring his kingdom down here on earth. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for kingdom manifestation. We're looking for the good that God promises us in situations. And it's to stop the progress of darkness because darkness uh, runs this earth. Everything from this world is dark. Amen. Now, it may look pretty and it may be fun for a season, but it's from the kingdom of darkness. And, and it's from a temporary kingdom. So you don't want to invest your life in temporary things. You want to invest your life in something that's going to last. And so when we bring righteousness into a situation, however we deliver it, we bring life everlasting. We bring things that people can trust, that they can rely on, that they can count on. And so we, and we bring a change of heart and behavior and mind. And so these are our righteousness affects every area of us first, uh, our being. It affects your mind. It affects your heart. It affects your thinking, uh, your, your words, your, your vision, your expectation. It affects your dreams, your hopes, your plans. All of that uh, is 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 the work of righteousness when you allow it to work. And so you want things to to you want it to bring a change of heart and behavior, a change of mind, to make things right in your life, to make it pleasing to God. That's very important, and to bring miracle working power into your life. When you need it. And so righteousness does all of those things. The Bible says there's no law against righteousness. So whenever you, whatever you do in righteousness will never be judged as wrong by God. You won't be penalized for it. You won't have a, a, a negative on your account when you operate in righteousness. And sometimes righteousness doesn't look right. And especially to the carnal mind, it will look 100% wrong. Because everybody has a, an idea in their head about a, what a Christian's supposed to be. And you've got to let God determine what you're supposed to be. You can't let man determine that. But you have to learn how to live peaceably with people. The Bible didn't say be friends with everybody, get along with everybody, but let there be peace between you and everybody. They said, be, live peaceably among all men. That means you're not a contentious person. You're not argumentative. You're not defensive. You don't get in a strife with people. When you're a peaceable person, you walk in the spirit with God and there is, people want to be around you. You bring an atmosphere of love and acceptance and, and non-judgmentalism. You bring an atmosphere of power with you uh, just by 
being present with God and having God in your heart. And so this is what God wants for us, for us to, to um, bring peace, exude peace, pursue peace. All of those things he wants for us, amen. And so, and as his witnesses down here on earth, peace should be our, our guard and our umpire. It should be our calling card. Peace should be what we leave with people, even though sometimes you might have to do some correction and that, you're not doing it from a spirit of selfishness or trying to lord it all over people or make people think you know more than they do. That's that's not right, amen. Uh, when you bring correction, it's because you love them and want to, you want to see them prosper and do well, amen. You know, it's, as Christians, we can all judge one another you know you can can look at people and see well man if they would just stop doing that you know maybe they, their prayers would be answered or maybe they could you, you understand what i'm saying now god is a forgiving god he's not sitting there waiting for us to do wrong so he can take things from us but we're we're to live by faith as justified people we are to walk by faith and live by faith and so if you're living by faith faith works by love so if you're a, a, the kind of person that holds grudges you're not going to get much in the way of good things by way of faith it won't work through unforgiveness it work, won't work through bitterness it won't work through contention. It won't work through strife. You're going to have to learn how to let things go and not try to hold on to everything if you're going to possess the kingdom. You can't possess light and darkness at the same time. And so many times we, we think we have a right to be angry or right not to like people or right to do this. or Well, you got to let all that go because those you don't have such rights in God's kingdom. Amen. You have the right to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You won't get it if you have a, a contentious spirit. You won't have it if you have an unforgiving spirit or a spirit of self-pity on you or, you know, yeah, everybody's done you wrong. You know, I, I remember when I was depressed and I would spend months upon month upon month thinking about how bad my life was and how you know my husband had done me wrong and my parents didn't do right and you know you can go down the list of of things if if that's where you want to live and one day i decided everybody else was going on living their lives even these so-called wrong people they was having a good time and i was sitting up here you know i couldn't work i was so depressed i couldn't work i could barely you know sleep at night and all that stuff and so i know from whence i came folks you know so i when i see people uh christians now and i think my goodness lord what they have in you and they're not even tapping into it see i wasn't saved at the time i didn't know i could have more but once i got saved god showed me what my problem was amen and he took me right to that scripture about the man who who owed a lot and was forgiven and the man who owed him little and he refused to forgive him and what did the bible say he was turned over to his tormentors now he showed me that and i was a brand new christian you understand me and see we're afraid to show people scripture to help them out see that helped me tremendously 
Because I kept thinking to myself, God, why am I suffering? Why am I this and why am I that? And I should be this and look what they did to me and all this kind of stuff. And God showed that to me. He said, you're being tormented because you refuse to forgive. And that became my foundation was forgiveness. And I learned how to not hold grudges. It's something you have to learn. You have to learn it on purpose. You have to learn to let people go so that you can live. And you let people go because it's pleasing to God. You don't forgive for them or for you. You forgive because God commands you to do it. And he knows better. Whether you ever understand forgiveness or not, you can get the benefit of it because you can obey it. Amen? And so that's the way God wants us to live. And I learned, I realized after that, I started to get better. Not so much because I did something good. I did something that that was necessary for me to please God. Amen? And I can tell you right now, I don't care how sick you are or how poor you are, if you don't please God, you get nothing. You gotta come through the straight gate, the narrow road. And there are not many people on it. Because you can go to a dozen people and they'll tell you, well, you need to leave him. He ain't no good. Look what he did to you. And you can stay fired up and crazy. Amen? Or you can go God's way and learn how to not be nice. Because nice people feel like a doormat anyway. They'll be nice for a minute, and then all of a sudden they mad at everybody. So don't even go there. All these carnal imitations of forgiveness don't work. Because God knows when you're clean, and he knows when you're dirty. And he wants his children cleaned up, amen, just like he's cleaned up. And so we're going nowhere until we get these first principles together. But I know there were times when, when God would just send people to me. They would say things and, and, you know, almost without thinking about them. You ever have somebody say something to you in a conversation and it's not deliberate? You know, when people are deliberately talking to you, they look you in the eye, they have your attention. You know, sometimes they can just casually drop a little something on you and it sets you free. Because it's just what you needed and they don't know what they said and, and, but you remember it because it had an impact on you. Amen. You know, I know we've all had this experience. Somebody will talk to you and say, you remember when you said such and such and such to me and you don't re- recall such a thing. Amen. That's the way the Holy Ghost works. So those are all little righteous slaps that we give each other all the time to slap us out of our craziness and slap us over into righteousness. And it is a kindness, folks. It's a kindness. You don't go deliberately hurting people's feelings. But if if God, and many times God won't prepare you in advance for what you're going to say. He said, open your mouth and I'll fill it with words. So many times we have no idea what we say to somebody is going to cause a sting or cause it, but they need to notice. They need to pay attention. And that's how God gets our attention sometimes. He just has to give us that little slap, that little whatever it takes to to get us over. And I welcome it. I don't know about y'all, but I want it. Amen? I'd rather be slapped by God 15 times and some of his saints 100 times in the state, ignorant and stupid and dumb and without and they have to live without. Amen. You know, the fact that somebody who's living right wants to take up time with somebody who's all screwed up is a blessing. 
You know, when you think about it, they got better things to do. Why would they want to wrestle with you about something you don't want to do all the time? They got better things to do. You know, they can go sit around and worship God and listen to some good tapes or something. They got to deal with you. Think about it. That's why we have such divisions among ourselves as believers. Certain people like their message and they want to stay with their clan, their tribe, their group. That's why we have denominations. Because people don't want to be challenged. People who are spirit-filled don't want to get around people who don't believe in it. Because they don't want the struggle. They don't want the stress. They don't want the... Who needs it? Amen? But the only way those people are going to get the fullness that God has for them is somebody's got to impart some truth to them. Amen? And so, and, and I think it's good to pray about things like that. And, and pray about people before you go barging into their life trying to correct everything. It's not about that. But it's about knowing what truth is and knowing the power that it has to set a soul free and, and understanding that's, that's part of what we do as Christians in the gospel. We, we do things that will help people. Amen? We just have to do them. So, I thought we would go to a letter that Paul wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians, and then we'll, we'll talk about the effect of it so that you'll understand. Now, Paul was an apostle, and he was the uh, God-ordained and, and assigned overseer over the flock of God. Amen? So, there were some things that he was called to do that that others of us may not be called to do. When when you're the pastor and you're the minister, you're the one responsible for the whole flock. You can't get out from under this responsibility. And and even pastors understand how to approach people and how to make sure that this just ask God to open a door for you to speak to people. Now there's some people that are hard headed, they don't listen. Is keep coming back with the same stuff over and over and over again. And, and, but those people in God's mercy, see, you'll see people do things like, well, you know, I want God to bless me here, there, here, there, here, there. But then they have habits that they have cultivated that get them into a pattern of behavior. And that pattern has to be broken. If you're gonna, you're gonna live the life of faith. You know, if faith ain't working worth two cents, they know it, you know it, but they try to pretend like their faith is working. You've seen people like that. They're, they're all over the place. And so many times they just need a, a nudge of correction, you know, and, and, uh, you've seen people like this. People all over Facebook putting stuff down there and their, their confession is raggedy. You can see their faith is not there and they're always asking for prayer for something. And they want prayer, but they don't want the word of God. You got me? It's like, you pray. You do what I tell you to do. And if you try and drop the word on them or encourage them, you know, like a simple thing that I write sometimes, that you are healed. Remember, you are healed. Amen? Because why am I going to sit up there and say I'm praying for somebody and I know they're off on the wrong track? You can tell by the request and what they say, where they're at. And the majority of people are not in faith. They're in in 
holding on and hoping that somehow they're going to make it through because somebody else is praying for them. And that really is not a way to live. Amen. Now, it's better than not having a word at all. I think, you know, social media can do a lot of good if you put the word out there. But if you're just going to put a bunch of likes up there and a bunch of platitudes and a lot of, you know, it's going to be all right or, you know, God got you, you know, all this kind of stuff, that's not the word. You're healed by the word. Amen. And so many times we, we, we just overlook the obvious and we try to make people what, what, what we're trying to do, I think, many times is make people think we're okay because we're praying. See, you put your name down there, you say, I'm praying for you or something. Then you, somebody can pat you on the back and say, well, look at you. You're helping somebody. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a lot of mixture in that. And, and, but if you, if you say you're praying, you need to pray. And if you're, if God tells you now, you need to tell them what you're agreeing for. You know, you, you get in the word just like I'm in the word for this. And by his stripes you are healed. You're already healed. You're not trying to get God to do anything for you. You need to stand on what he's done. And see, a lot of people ignore opportunities to impart the word. Because you'll see a lot of people just ignore everything that has to do with you committing to do something to help somebody. Now, I don't believe in that. I think there's some people that just aren't open to the word and aren't open, but you don't know that until you share the word with them. And so you need to always say, I'm in agreement with you that you are healed. Got me? There's no magic bullet to prayer. You know, we're, we're believing and you gotta be in faith for this just like everybody else is. And so it's, it's good to, to do those things. And, And those are little righteous slaps. You know, where people are thinking, well, I, all I got to do is put it on here and all the saints going to pray me through, you know, and riding through on somebody else's faith all the time. Well, that's got to stop at some point. Amen. Because it's not going to work after a while. God's expecting you to come to him and study his word and read his word. Just like the people who are praying you through, you need to get on the, the stick so you can pray yourself through. Because Really, many times faith is, is coming to us and blessings are coming to us, but we don't recognize them because we're not over in the realm of the spirit. We're over here in fear and expecting everybody else to get us out of trouble. Amen. Not expecting to pull ourselves out. And so that kind of stuff only goes for so long because God sees it all. Amen. He sees it all and he knows what those people need and he knows what's best for them. And so, you know, it's, it's just always good to stay spiritual, stay with God. Don't get it crossed up. Don't go on there and, and start getting involved in spiritual things, but use a carnal root to do it. Amen. Cause everybody on there has got some carnality in them. You know, they're looking to be liked. And they're looking to get attention. That's what, that's what social media is for. So if you're a spiritual person, you gotta cut through all of that. And you know it's a lot of trouble sometimes. You know, sometimes I don't even go on there cause I don't want to see people's problems. Cause I think they need to take them to God. You know? And you know, one thing you sometimes need to, have you prayed yet? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Are you, are you just along for the ride? Are you praying too? And so it, it's a, you know, a catch 22. So it's, it's just good to make up your mind who you are before you get on social media. 
And when you get on there, be true to who you're supposed to be when you get on there. Because you can, you can pick up a lot of identities. When <laughs> People that went from beggars to kings to queens to apostles to prophets to angels. They just get all kind of identities up on there. So, you know, you get very confused rip, running up on there. So, but anyway, uh, but, but in the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll see, <clears throat> what the righteous slap is all about and uh the uh Corinth was a uh Greek was a Greek wasn't it yeah uh it was in Greece and but it was a seaport city so it wasn't just Greek it was everybody else that got on a ship and came over there kind of place and it was one of those places was it was a pagan place they they worshiped the Zeus and that that group of gods, Apollos, and in fact, I think when Paul went there once, they made him a, him a god, and I think he had either prayed for somebody, they got well, cast the devil out of somebody, and they wanted to worship him, you know, and so it was a confused place, but it was a place where he had a lot of converts, because it, it was one of the place where people brought all of their sorcery items and burned them. He said, you've got, uh, he said, I see your, you people are very superstitious. He said, you even have a, a statue to the unknown God. He said, and I'm here to tell you who he is. Amen. <laughs> so know him. And so he was able to make, uh, uh, many converts there, set up a church there. And Paul always liked to, uh, uh, help the churches out with right doctrine and right living. That's what apostles do. Uh, they don't just go set up churches and, to give themselves a title. They, they really are who they say they are. You know, uh, the word apostle really translated, it means warfare or it, it means the apostolic office as one of warfare. And you look at Paul's life. Do you want to be him? See, most people don't even look at the biblical examples that we have in order to see what what the job entails. Or we wouldn't be grabbing titles so fast. We wouldn't be grabbing prophet. And, you know, many of the prophets didn't survive. They were stoned by the people they were preaching to. So these are our hardship leadership roles that are require us to come forth and 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 stand for Christ and stand for the word and stand for the kingdom uh and and do these things irrespective of what befalls us uh, you know when you go into a hostile territory it's like going into a, a foreign country to take it over and you don't have a gun you don't have a knife you don't have anything you know, you have the Spirit of God, and He gives you a message, and you're going in there to stand for Christ, and, and in that way, get people to understand who He is, and flip, and convert, and come over to our side. That's what you're looking for. And so there aren't many governments that'll let you do that without putting up some kind of resistance to that. That's why you see so much persecution of Christians throughout the world. Because those governments know that once God gets people, they can't get them back. That's the one thing they know about Christians. They don't get you back once God God has people. And so if the people don't know it, the demons that run the place do. 
And they're the ones you got to be concerned about because they'll move on anybody to fight against you. And so the Apostle Paul had a lot of work. He he was was beaten up in every city he went to. Amen. He was dragged. He was beaten. He was was left for dead one time. And and, uh, he was dragged to the edge of the city. And the saints came and stood around him. And he stood back up again. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) That man had been through. You know? If you're in trouble, hopefully you're around people that can stand you up. Amen. And not leave you for dead. So, so anyway, he, he had to write letters to the churches because he was constantly on the move. Uh, he had assignments from God to go to different places to share the gospel. And so he was, uh, while he was doing that and, and preaching and, and gaining new converts, and uh, setting up, establishing new churches as people got converted. Uh, he was also organizing and overseeing the churches that he had already established. So there was the church at Corinth seemed to have gotten a lot of attention from him because he sent them two letters, and, and both of them were fairly lengthy. And they may have had problems relating to uh, their pagan, their former pagan culture, uh, because that pagan culture uh, allowed for every kind of wickedness, every kind of witchcraft, every kind of everything. And so when people come out of something, they've got to learn how to live in the new something. And so here we have Paul helping them learn how to live for God. And so he, in First Corinthians, starting in chapter 5, you can see, where he starts his his righteous slapping. And he said, 5 verse 1, it is reported commonly, now this is something that went on quite a bit, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. In other words, this you, y'all is doing rough stuff so rough, sinners are ashamed of you. And he says that one should have his father's wife. So here we have uh, incest, fornication in the church of God. And he says, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken from among you. So they're allowing this man to remain as a part of the congregation. Uh, they're allowing him to carry on the way he wants to carry on. It's, this is a permissive atmosphere. And so God wants a holy church. And there's no reason why these two people cannot live for God. And this is what we have. Before you go making uh, excuses for people who are born again and live in sin, which is what many people do. They either shrug, they don't want to tell, we don't want to confront people. See, they don't want to get a righteous laugh. Why not? Think about it. Why do we shy away from confronting things that really need to be confronted? Amen. Why do we shy away from, you know, telling people, you know, you know, pray with them? You know, is, is you know, you think it's hard to live for God, but it's really not once you make the decision to do that. Why don't you do that? And we'll pray and ask God to help you. See? That's simple. 
But he says here, he says, you puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that has done this thing might be taken away from among you. He says, for truly, as absent in body, but present in spirit, he says, I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. In other words, he says, I don't have to be there to decide what to do about this man. He said, I've already judged this man. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one to Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. So they're telling, he's telling them, don't make excuses for him. Don't let him stay around and contaminate everybody else. He said, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, if, if you, if, if people who are, are accepting that they're living in sin and they insist upon being a part of your church, what do you do? Now, you can talk to people and find out, you know, is, is this something you think is right before God? And you'll find a lot of fornicators, whether they're in uh, 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 heterosexual, hero, uh, you know, homosexual fornication and sin, They'll tell you it's, and with a straight face, you know, God understands. God knows what I do. God knows my heart. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, that's not repentance. That's not what God accepts. That's not acceptable to God. So these are people who want to be accepted as religious or okay with God, but they're not willing to pay the price. And many of these people have not heard the gospel. They have not uh, understood the gospel. They have not, uh, you know, just, just yielded themselves to God. Some people take a lot of convincing. You don't know what the situation is, but you don't want those people to continue to remain there and be approved of by the, the, uh, oversight or by the minister or by whoever is in charge and he says that if his flesh is destroyed his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ so it's like this this person may never stop living the way they're living but if you turn them out so that they're not under the protection the pretense of being right with God because many times the church provides a refuge for everybody we're supposed to be a refuge for the righteous. But you can become a refuge for sinners where they think they're hiding out. We, we're approved. We're okay because we come and we take communion and we do this and we give our money and we, you understand what I'm saying? They're doing all the things, but they're not living the life. And many times they're not empowered to live the life. They haven't been born again. They haven't really accepted that they have to, to, to repent of their sins. And, and that is, repentance really means that the Holy Spirit has worked on you and there's been a change. You know, it, it can't happen without the, the working of the Holy Spirit on a person's heart. And so he says, purge out, verse seven, purge out therefore the old leaven. In other words, you all used to do this stuff, but you're clean now. 
And why are you allowing it? What are you trying to do? Find yourself back in the old ways again? He said, purge the old leaven. He said, for a little leaven, leaven us the whole lump, purge it out. And in, as you are unleavened, for even Christ our pass out, Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So when people are sincere and their hearts are right, they want to be right with God. They don't want to live in in sin anymore. He said, I wrote you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Amen. So that's our instruction. You don't company with people who are living in sin. Amen? You, you don't, don't choose to be them. Don't choose to make them comfortable. Don't choose that way. Amen? And so don't company with fornicators. Yet not, not, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous extortioners, idolaters. So, you know, you'll have people who say stuff like, well, why do you single me out? Other people are doing wrong. Paul said all of them. He said it's all wrong. All unrighteousness is sin. So don't company with any people who are living wrong, extortioners, idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, covetous, idolater, or railer, or drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one do not eat. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not you judge them that are within, but them that are without, God will judge. In other words, God judges the sinners. You've got to judge the people in the house of God. Therefore, put away from among you that wicked person. So Paul tells him right away, don't let that man keep staying in your church. Because he's going to get everybody over there. You go, he's going to, this is the one thing that people tend to gravitate toward is the, the person that looks worldly or acts worldly. You ever notice they come into a group of people and they get all the attention? That's what the devil wants. He wants them to stand out, hoping they will drag some other weak-minded people over in that thing with them. Amen? You know, I don't know how many times I've had to speak to women in the church. They want to come in here with these raggedy jeans on, with skin showing through. You know, and that's modest apparel. That's worse than, than what, uh, uh, we used to wear. You know, I mean, the, the hippie kind of look. It was like the bell bottom jeans and the t-shirts and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, eventually God will, will speak to people and start clothing them in dignity. But you get somebody who's been saved 12, 10, and 15 years, and all of a sudden they go back to wearing the fashion of the streets. Think about it. Got me? Where they used to dress modestly, now all of a sudden, what's with the tear-out jeans you got? Huh? What's with this and what's with that? So short, you you got to keep pulling your skirt down, and all this. This is nonsense. It's nonsense. And many times, this this seed is planted in the church, so that other people that look, you know, what what the devil likes to do is get the saints jealous of the world. 
We get jealous because we can't do what they do. We can't sleep around no more. Can't smoke. Can't drink. Can't wear, can't wear short skirts. You know, we can't do this. You know, the, the devil gets so bold. He'll get, you know, the, the women in the church sitting on the front row and on the podium with short skirts. And then instead of them buying a long skirt, they go get a scarf and put it on their lap. Can you understand what I'm saying? It's compromise. That scarf represents compromise with the world. Go buy you a skirt that covers your legs. You will sit in front, in front of somebody. They didn't come there to see you. We hope. See, people don't like to give that stuff up. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Little compromise. Jump over the line a little bit. Jump over this a little bit. Jump over that a little bit. And pretty soon you're over there swimming. You're, you, you made a whole bed for yourself to lie in. And so we have to watch ourselves, folks. You watch yourself. It's to what you do, how you represent God. How you represent His, His authority in your life. You know, let Him clothe you with the dignity that He shed His blood to pay for to give you. You know, you don't start picking up your own dignity. Amen. And then pretty soon those people are back out in the world. Why? Because they're on their way out. But they stop in the church to see who else they can pull. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody wants to look fashionable. Everybody, well, except me. I gave that up a long time ago. That girl died with, you know, Christ died. You just got to let stuff die. You understand what I'm saying? Just let it die. Whatever. You know, it's just, it, that's over. So you got to count some things dead and buried. Never to be raised up again. Amen. You got something better. You belong to God. Look like it. Glorify Him in your members. Glorify Him in the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you look, the way you dress. Glorify Him all the way around. Amen. I heard some little, little, little couple as a pastor and his wife, I think, and she, she was dressed real seductive and, and they were having some kind of little question and answer thing. Uh, it was recorded and a young woman boldly got up and said, if you're a pastor's wife, why are you letting your cleavage show? I noticed, sister, you're letting your cleavage show in front of everybody. And boy, he got mad. You, you, in Jesus' name, you can look like you want to look. And it's, I said, now here's a pimp. Pimp and his wife. He don't have no skills, no pulpit skills, and no brains either. But he's got that street thing. You know how men like to have the nicest looking woman in the room come walk in with them and start the showstopper? You understand what I'm saying? That's that's him. And he hasn't shaken that, even though he's supposed to be a pastor leading God's flock. Where are you leading them to? But see, you know, and I applauded that young woman. I said, Lord, bless her. Don't let her stop being bold. Let her continue to be confident. Because she is saving their lives. Because they're on the wrong road. Amen. Because they're going to lead a lot of young women astray. And a lot of young men astray.
So we have to take on that modest apparel. The Bible says that specifically for women. It's amazing to me that men do it pretty easily. They'll put on a suit and a tie because they want to look respectable. They want to look respectful. You know, now you got some want to jump up in a t-shirt. You can t-shirt as long as your body looks good, but you can come, you can come out of them t-shirts. You understand what I'm saying? That day, that day ain't gonna last long, brother, and I know it won't. Cause the saints get around together and you start eating them free meals and eating all that fried chicken. That, that t-shirt is, is, uh, history right now. Amen. So, I mean, we all gonna have to conform. Wear the dignity that Jesus shed his blood to pay for for you. What's wrong with looking like you belong to him? Amen. Like he's your Lord and he's your God. So this is what Paul did. He wrote that letter into the church to allow them to, to correct some things. They were also, uh, taking each other to court and he admonished them about that. And he says, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? You, you, you really think the world is qualified to judge the church? They have, they know nothing about our standards. They don't have our Holy Spirit to help them think and do nothing. So why are you going over to them for your help? Amen? I thought it was interesting. I think I might have mentioned it, but, uh, 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 what's his name? I had it on the tip of my tongue. The guy that went to heaven, uh, he was dead for like, uh, 40 minutes and went. I, you know, can't think of his name right now, but, uh, he was saying that, uh, he, he died on, in the hospital. He was a patient in the hospital and they, he kept getting progressively worse and they thought, uh, they could treat him with a certain antibiotic and what it did was it broke down any barriers to the infection in his body and it went all over his body and he went into shock and died. And, you know, his wife called some people and they were praying for him and God brought him back. And, um, he was saying that he, he wanted to, when he went to share his testimony, he talked, he had, he had prayed and thought about it for a while and asked God, uh, he said, do you want me to tell people? And God, well, well, really, before he left heaven, Jesus told him, I'm letting you go back because I want you to share what happened to you. And I want you to teach my people about heaven and about death and about, you know, what happens to them and so forth and so on. And so he said when he went to share his testimony, every time he would share it, especially with ministries that were, you know, media ministries on TV and all this exposure, they wanted proof. And they wanted the hospital affidavit. And they wanted the doctor's uh, validation and all of that. And in the process of looking for that, he, Dean Braxton, that's his name, Dean. And so in the process of looking for that, he found that the hospital refused to release that information to him, was slow to talk to him until he reassured them that he wouldn't sue them. You got me? And so when when he mentioned that <clears throat> that they were fearful of a lawsuit, and he said, now I see the looks on some of your faces because you're trying to wonder how much money did I get. He said, when you go to heaven and come back, see how, how anxious you would be to sue somebody. You got me? 
See, heaven will take all the I've been wronged out of you. Nothing but love and forgiveness. If you get that close to the Lord, I guarantee you it will change you. Amen? Because we're changed just with the exposure that we have to God. Amen? And so he he said that that was a gift of, of forgiveness. Just immediate forgiveness for all offenses. It was given to him as a result of his visit to heaven. Amen? And so it's it's always good to understand how God sees things, but we're not to really go to the court in in the natural court to solve things. We're to take them to God and let God resolve all of our differences and all of the things that that uh, go wrong in life. And so this is this is the first letter that he wrote. And so then he mentions this, but not not in so many words, but he mentions the whole letter over in Second Corinthians. And if you'll turn to Second Corinthians chapter seven, you'll see what he he says about the righteous slap that he just gave them. Amen. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7 and he says here uh, verse 1 having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness because the promises come to you through righteousness living holy for God of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. For when we would come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God, has, that comforts those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. So in other words, Titus brought us such good news that comforted us. Why? Because he had come from you and was comforted when he had visited you. So what's the difference? What changed between the first letter and the second letter? And he says, he comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning and fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, we're talking about what we just read, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle has made you sorry, which is, it, though, though it were but for a season. He said, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. That's, that's the end result of the righteous slap. Amen. When it brings, leads people to godly sorrow, and he says, and that sorrow is not to be uh, repented of. He says, you were 
made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. So if what we do in bringing righteousness and correcting people brings the good result of God, that they are repentant and sorrowful in a godly manner, then it's a good thing. So he said, we didn't damage you at all in what we did. In fact, we did you a kindness. Amen. And he says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation or deliverance or freedom, not to be repented of. So he says, if if somebody talks to you and it makes you godly sorry for what's going on in your life, then that person need not repent of what they said. And see, people so often want to, they look at how people respond to what they say, and if their face looks long or something, then they get upset with themselves. Well, you know, I, I did that and I shouldn't have done that. And so that stops the correction. The enemy knows how to stop this type of ministry to people. Amen. That's why God entrusts it to leadership, because God will work us over until we do the right thing. See, you guys, you can get off easy because you say, well, that ain't my job. They didn't want it, and I tried to talk to them, yada, 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 you know, all that kind of thing. And so, but the the minister who's in charge, everybody got to give an account of that soul. You don't want to see people go off and, and not obey God and not still be a part of the fellowship and not be working for God the way they're supposed to be working. Everybody wants to go on part-time or go on vacation or retire somewhere and, and, you know, do what they want to do. But very few people stay the course. Amen? Very few. And and this is what you have to understand is important to God, not to me. You're not doing me any favors. Listen, I can preach to empty chairs as long as God tells me to come. You got me? Makes me no difference whatsoever. You know, and so we, we, we need to understand what we're after here. You're after holiness. You're after people coming out of the old life and recognizing they have a new life that they can live. Now what happens with many people is they get weary living the new life because they don't know how to keep up with God in it and, and know how to shift gears and uh, put on a, a new outfit that God wants them to wear. Sometimes there's a new uh, uh, phase in ministry or a new outlook on things that God wants to give to believers. There's always something that he's got to make us interested in serving him and not come to a stopping point where we think, well, you know, I've done this and done that and I wish we could do this and I wish I'd get away from here. Pretty soon you will be away got me where God is trying to hold on to people. He's not trying to get people away. Amen. And this story people give you what God's telling me to go over here and do, do a ministry of those people never do anything for God, folks. They want away from the discipline, the restriction. You got to pray once a week and then pray twice a week with your prayer partner. You got to come twice a week and not fail. They hate that. The flesh hates that stuff. And if you spend enough time nursing your flesh, you're going to hate it too. You're going to want to rip and run just like the Facebook saints do. You got me? And get a little snatch here and a little bit there. When life gets overwhelming, pray for my family. We just, so-and-so just transitioned. It's just a constant funeral on there. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
there's it's not a normal church atmosphere. So don't look at Facebook as your church, you know, because it's not. Especially if God has a, a live meeting for you to attend, you need to be in the live meeting. Don't, don't forsake assembling yourself. Now, with people, he puts you around, not just anybody. Amen? So so you got to be obedient to God. Everybody wants to quit being obedient. Every time you see somebody that's been serving God for a season, it's like an old marriage. You know, you stop trying to lose a few pounds so you don't look bad to your spouse. <laughs> the good hangs out a little bit more, a little bit more. Or, you know, you quit cooking dinner all the time or quit, you know, doing little things that you used to do to show love. You don't do them anymore. How many of those things you going to cut back on? Saint of God. But we're supposed to be demonstrating our love to God all the time. Cut back there if you can. You know, we just got that little thief inside of us, refuses to die. He wants to steal something back. Well, I don't have to do this and I don't have to do that. I can go do this. I can go do this. It's just rebel. It's just witchcraft. You know, that's what it is. You're just crafting yourself so that you don't have to be obedient to God. It's just true. And so the righteous slap keeps people. Now I've slapped people righteously and they ran off and never came back. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta take a chance. Cause they know it's coming. They know they're not doing right. They know they're not right in their hearts. They know they want to get away. And so you do what you need to do to keep them on track because it would be much better for them to take that and get confused for a minute or not understand it or whatever. You know, but a lot of people leave because they're being corrected. You know, if you're not being corrected, you think you're right all the time. And it, it becomes a kind of a shock to find out that, you know, you could do more or you could do it better or you could do whatever it is. You can do it from the heart. That's the most important thing is that we do things from the heart, you know. So it says here, <clears throat> godly sorrow, verse 10, works repentance. To salvation. So when Paul sent them that letter, and he, not only about the fornication, but he says if you're lying, if you're cheating, you're doing any of those things, stop it. Amen? They told him, put that man out of church with his mother-in-law, wife, mother-in-law, wife, mother-in-law, wife. You got me? Talk about confusion. You don't want a whole confused congregation because first thing people say well how come he can stay here and he's doing so and so you know just like the the women that want all of a sudden wear to see through jeans other people women sitting there well how come she can come and she can look like that pretty soon everybody's sitting up here half naked and we don't have church anymore i don't know what you call it but it ain't church a church is this is a this is a sanctuary. You know what sanctuary means? It's a safe place. Safe from what? From the devil and temptation. Safe to be in the presence of God. You don't do that with people running in here getting attention for what they wearing and not wearing.
you know, you fight to keep your, your children in church, your young, young men, your boys in church, and then some woman older than you comes in half dressed. And I'm not gonna put up with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can go right around the corner and have a little chat. Come back when you, let me, I got some stuff in this bookstore. Chuck, find me something that's gonna, you know, I don't care if they don't come back. I care about you who are still trying to stay. Being lured off like the wolf is just going to come right in here and I'm going to sit here and, and watch him take you out of here. I don't think so. I don't think so. We're a holy people. I know what holiness is. From the inside out. <laughs> God knows my heart. Well, you better dress like your heart telling you. Your heart didn't tell you to put them jeans on. Huh? Unless you didn't have a transplant overnight. You need to stop it. You know, the church has been fighting this ever since it, look, it was fighting it back in the day of Paul. And we're still fighting the same devil. Amen. Is this worldly spirit. We're so tired of not being able to do stuff. If that's where you think about your Christianity, you need to go back and get saved again. You need to have something happen to you, you know, to, to give you truth. You need a righteous slap. Amen. And, and God in his mercy will give it to you. Amen. And so he says here, godly sorrow. Works repentance. That's what the purpose is of the righteous slap. It works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. So get to the place where you have nothing left to repent of. Amen. Get a clear conscience. Get 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 the understanding what God wants you to do. That He wants you to look different. He wants you to feel comfortable being His child. He wants you to live holy. Amen. And being the type of person that, that loves God with all of your heart, with all of your being, uh, that doesn't want anything of the world. Amen. He says, for behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. And what carefulness it worked in you. So once you sorrow, once you get, say for instance, you know, tells the woman that, you know, you know, honey, we don't dress like that here. I'm gonna have to ask you to, to cover yourself up more and don't, don't wear that again. You know, is there something you can put on that, that is more appropriate? You know what I'm saying? And they'll argue with you. I don't have nothing else. I said, well, I'm gonna go buy you something. How's that sound? I've done that. I bought girls that come in here. They can't get out of them tight. Uh, what you call it, shorts, blue jean shorts they used to wear. You know, I bought them once. Well, I don't, I don't like that. I know you don't. I didn't ask you to like it. I asked you to wear it. You know? You know, I was a model years ago. And they never asked me if I wanted to wear some, if I thought I looked nice in it. They said, put it on and walk. Till you get used to it. And you get used to them funny looking clothes. You say, you know, I think I like that. Now I'm going to get one of them for myself. You save up all your money trying to afford something. Shoot. Put it on and wear it. 
And so he said, you sorrowed after a godly sort. Amen. And look at what carefulness or what discipline it worked in you. You got more conscious of how you were behaving, what it looked like to God, how God approved of it. It's a good thing when you do that. He says, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So Paul is saying, I don't have any more slapping to do among y'all. Look at what my last letter did for you. You you straightened up. You got more careful in the way you live. You got indignant about sin. You you got a vehement desire to live right. And you're revenging uh, your bad behavior now. You're getting even with the devil for putting you in a position to, to be in opposition to God. And he said, in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. He said, wherefore I thought I wrote unto you, I did it not for this cause. He said, wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for this cause that had done wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. So I didn't do this because somebody was right. and I'm not trying to clear up disputes. He said, I did this so that you might, might, but that our care for you in the sight of God might be known to you. I just did this so that you know we care about you. We care about your eternal soul. We care about what God thinks about you. See, This is why you do these things. You do it to help people to get back on track with God, get right on the right road with God. He says, therefore, we were comforted, comforted in your comfort. So we all got a blessing out of this. Amen. We all were able to stand up taller before God. We all were able to feel good about ourselves. The fact that we were able to correct you and you took the correction and you, you now you, 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 uh, walk in a manner that you can, can be glad, uh, or you don't, you're not self-conscious. You're not waiting for another shoe to drop. Uh, you know, sometimes people, if they, they do wrong and they don't repent on the inside, then they're always looking for somebody to point something out to them. You gotta repent. He said, godly sorrow works true repentance. He said, if you're sorrowful after a godly sword, if you take it to God and say, God, you know, my pastor said I shouldn't do this, you know, and, and, you know, is this what you want me to do? You know, you can question people. You don't just have to accept somebody's word for something. You know, but if you're honest and look at yourself sometimes and how you appear, you'll know that you've done wrong. A lot of times people are doing things to see if they can get away with it, to see if somebody will say something, or just some people are just edgy like that. They don't want peace. They want a little attention, and they'll do anything for it. And so, you know, you, you have to be willing to know what you're after in these situations. And he says, he says, I, I wanted our care for you in the sight of God to be known to you. And you understand now, you understand what I was doing when I sent that letter to you. I wasn't trying to embarrass you. I wasn't trying to make you feel bad. See, you, 
this is the thing where in leadership you have to get beyond the level of what it looks like to people and what it sounds like to people. And you have to understand what's right before God and what you're doing. I'm not just the fashion police or somebody who's watching what everybody wears so I can catch somebody wrong. That's what Paul said. He said, I'm not after the right or the wrong of it, but I'm after that godly standard that God wants us all to uphold because we're all subject to the same rules and the same regulations. And so he wants everybody to have that right standing with God and to get into that place where they they go to God with this controversy. God, somebody says, I should change this. What do you think? And all you got to do is open up your Bible and go to the Word and see what the Word says. A lot of people never even bother to look at what God thinks about how they about their appearance. No, it's just, just keep going. You know, I'm okay. You know, well, there's got to be a change to some kind of a godly. There's there's a dignity that comes on you when you're when you're appropriate before God. Amen. When you're fully clothed before God, um, there's always that, you know, and if that dignity doesn't come to you or you not mindful of or you think it doesn't matter, you know, that kind of you can't live like that forever. You can't live like that. And then some people wonder why they're always winding up backslid. Sexual sin again. After God's delivered you, now you're right back there in the pig pen again because you refuse to let that conversion happen. You know, you always got something in the closet you throw on. And he says, therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. You see, when you find that people accept what you say, that gives you comfort. But you can tell if people are still mad at you or if they're resentful. Or if they're, they're, some people just have never liked authority. Got me? And they don't know how to make the transition to church. But see, I think human authority is a soft, it's like a velvet hammer compared to what God would, would do if he, you know, really understood, if you really understood that if God is correcting you. Because this man was turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit and soul could be saved at the end time. God wants you to live with him. He don't want to have to do that to you. So that's why he gives us leadership that will correct us. Let's tell us, come back when you've straightened this out. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what you tell people. If, if if you have to let them go for some reason, behavior, or they're, uh, you know, challenging authority too much or threatening the pastor, it's all kind of crazy people like that. You can't have them disturbing the peace of God's house. This is the sanctuary. You're to keep stuff like that on the outside. And so they're always invited back. You know, if you correct this, you're welcome to come back, but we can't have you here. Challenging us every time, you know, you get up in the pulpit and you want to come in the office when the service is done, you want to talk all day and all night. You understand what I'm saying? There's limits to what's productive 
And so these are these are the limits, folks. You just, you can't have people disturbing. We don't do it to many people. In fact, I think there's maybe one or two that that in in one person straightened out and came back. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it works. It it was done to allow that person an opportunity to reflect. You know, am I doing something that can be corrected? Should it be corrected? Well, of course, everything can be corrected. And, and is it worth it to me? And they found out that it was, and, and they were able to do that. So praise God. He said, we're comforted because you're comfortable. You got the picture. You understand. You see what we're aiming at. And it wasn't just that situation with that one man, but it was others in the congregation doing the same sin that were, some of them were lying and cheating and, and doing all kinds of carnality that they shouldn't do. And so they were all corrected. You know, Paul sent a letter to that whole church. You know, thank God he didn't have, but he mentioned some things so people wouldn't get the wrong impression. You know, you want to know what I'm after? I'm after this. Because this is not God. This is not godly behavior, and it's not going to be profitable for you, and it needs to stop. In fact, it must stop if you're going to be right with God. And so this holy slap, a righteous slap, led to them repenting and feeling sorrowful for their sin after a godly sort. And and this is the other the other part of it. You know, people, I mean, I don't care how long you've been saved. Sometimes people get to the point where they know how to shake off that feeling of godly sorrow. You know what I'm saying? You start to feel bad and then you just snap yourself out of it. You don't take it to God and let God show you how to come before him and to be delivered from that and be released from it. Amen? You know, people will say you correct people. I know. Well, they're shaking off that godly sorrow. Well, that wasn't that bad. Well, you know, why are you shaking it off then? If it's not that bad, prove it. Accept it. Accept correction. Let God help you. Let him help you do a better job. Amen? Let him help you not not feel like people are always correcting you. Straighten up. And they won't have to always correct you. Amen? This is a, a life lesson that parents spend 20 years trying to teach their children. You know, how to receive correction. How to correct your behavior. How to straighten up. How to do what people expect. Not just what you want to do all the time, but people have a right to expect you to behave in a certain way in the house of God. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate I've been able to spend time with some people who have been in church all, all their adult life and most of their teenage years. And they talk about the, the way church used to be conducted and how younger people always respected the older people. And how they didn't speak, uh, say anything in front of people and they weren't casual about everything. There was like a little decorum there. There was a system there that taught people not just respect for others, but also self-respect. Because if you respect others, that respect bounces back on you. It comes into your life and enriches your life. And this, those young people grew up with a certain level of dignity about them, a certain level of expectation 
older people always encourage younger people. They weren't trying to compete with them and get on their level. They always stayed in an older person's place where they could always offer some counsel. They were respected by younger people. And you paid a price for that. You had to carry yourself in a certain way so that you didn't break that that atmosphere of respect and that atmosphere of dignity. And churches survived well beyond one generation, two generations. They survived hundreds of years because of the culture that was created by the people that that went there and the people that were, were served there. And so it's a good thing to always have some kind of standard that you're living toward in God. It's, you, you just can't say and do everything and be casual about it and comfortable about everything. Have some dignity. Have some, some lines of respect drawn so that you don't, you're not comfortable crossing lines all the time. And, and allow people to, to freely stay and worship God and do the things that are pleasing in God's sight. But Paul was, was thankful that he had sent this letter. He said, because it did everything I wanted it to do. He said, you got godly sorrowful about mistakes that you were making, living in the flesh, doing things in the flesh, all that. He even had to, to correct them with the communion. He said, you coming in here, you eating like you ain't ate all day. Don't you have houses to eat in? You understand what I'm saying? They grubbing up it. How much, can you, how much greed can you put on bread and wine? But someone were drunk, amen, passed the communion around several times. And he says, we were comforted with your comfort. Yes, and exceeding the more joyed were we for the joy of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by everybody. So not only did Paul receive word about the the uh, correction that was sent, but the messenger Titus came back and he reported that this was a different congregation. These people had cleaned up everything. These people were living right before God. And I was refreshed by being being there with them. And he says in verse 14, For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. Said, but as we spake all things to you in truth, so even our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found in truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you while he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. He said, I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. So this is what you're after, amen, with the righteous slap, with the, the slap of righteousness, that, that they would be, he would have confidence. See, if, if you're not living right, you're not confident in anything. Do you understand? If your heart's not right, you're not confident. If you're not humble and repentant before God and his people, you're not confident in anything. you got to put on a confident face so that you can try and fool somebody. But and when you understand what it means to live with a pure heart every day, live pure before God. Always keep it before God. Lord, I'm open in, in to anything you have to tell me. I'm open to any correction. I'm open to any... Uh, you know, <laughs> any kind of adjustment that I might have to make. In fact, correction is like sometimes the easy route. You don't have to sort through everything and fast and pray and try to get to the root of things. You know, somebody could just come up and give you a word and boom, 
knock you over into the right space. So, <laughs> amen. So that you, you can, now you can pick up and go on because you know what you did. Yeah, that's what it was. I knew it was something, God. And so this is how we live. That's godly sorrow, true repentance. Amen. So this is, this is how we live and how we live for God. Amen. So when the righteous smite you, it is a kindness because it brings forth the good fruit of God. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in our hearts and our minds. We never stop growing in you. And that is the truth, Lord. And we thank you for it. That's the challenge before every believer, that we would continue in the fruit of God, that we would continue in the vineyard of God, that we continue being soldiers in your army and that we're repaid over and over again by the blessings of God and they never stop flowing. So Father we thank you, we bless you, we praise you for all things that you have done well in our lives in Jesus name. Alright, we'll do our declaration. I don't have Rona and she don't have me I can't get Rona and she can't get me and I can't get you fill in the blank and it can't get me. Thank you, Lord, that by your stripes we are healed. Amen, amen, and amen again. It's so decreed. Amen. Praise God.